Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to season seven of Talking with Traders. We're now into the fourth year of this podcast since it started in early 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as our sponsor for this season. We are truly privileged and grateful to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some will be follow-ups with past guests and some will be new guests. The idea behind this podcast is that you get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of what you hear in these episodes is intended to be financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here into your own trading and investing. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG for funding and sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please enjoy season seven of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to season seven of Talking with Traders. This is the first episode of season seven. It gives me great pleasure to welcome the CEO of IG South Africa, Rob Van Aden. Uh, he obviously IG Markets is our sponsor on this podcast. So it's a very nice way to start season seven. Um, Rob, I, I'm not going to give too much away, but I, I did say to you, I'd give a bit of an intro into you and well, if I had to read your whole CV, it would probably take up the whole 45 minutes that we've got. So I'm going to just say very briefly, you know, impressive CV, um, author of three books, one of which has just come out, Badass Trader, as you are wearing the shirt and got the banners behind you, uh, and two other books behind that as well. You obviously are not right now CEO at IG South Africa, but also before that you were uh, CEO of FNB Stockbroking. You are non-executive director of the SA Institute of Stockbrokers. You've done some time at Barclays, Standard Bank, Rand Merchant Bank, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So as I said, a very illustrious CV. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Garth, and thank you for the introduction. Yeah, it's good, good to have you here, Rob. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting to you. As I always do with every guest, just tell us briefly, and when I say briefly, like two to three minutes, I mean, what got you into the markets originally? Uh, and, 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 you know, a short synopsis of your career, I suppose, to get you to this point. That's an interesting one because, um, I think unlike your story, none, no family members actually participate in the stock market. And then the first time I actually got hold of the stock market, I went to university and I met a new friend and I was introduced to the stock market. Back then, it was a lot more different. Um, the only prices you could get were from the newspapers and, or alternatively listen to the radio at 1 o'clock or 5 o'clock. And the uh, settlement period was 14 days, which was absolutely lovely mm. because they, they provided what we would call today um, a lending or, or, or leverage for a period of 14, day, 14 days. So I started back then as a university student. Um, I initially started BCom accounting. But I realized quite quickly that uh, becoming a chartered accountant and financial markets have got nothing in common. And there was little or anything to do with the stock market. 
So I changed to, to a finance degree and I started studying it and I was introduced to fundamental research and dividend discount models and all of that good stuff. But I, I found it very difficult and also getting information back then was very difficult. And then something happened. They, um, in South Africa, access to data, um, closing prices was made available through modems back then. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of charting software packages um, appeared in the South African market. And the one I purchased was Indexia, which uh, is still, uh, well, it was authored by a very famous uh, person who wrote a point and figure chart. And that's how I started. Um, I also started attending a course. I drove every morning quite a distance on a Saturday morning. And I attended a course by the gentleman by the name of Don Bear, And he had 10 modules, which I did. So I learned everything from the basics of technical analysis to the more advanced stuff. And then the one thing I forgot in the whole journey was risk management. There was a module on risk management. But as as a youngster, I was more interested in win rate. So any book I read, uh, for example, The Market Wizard, the first thing I would try and figure out was what is the the secret formula Mm -hmm. and how high was the win rate? Um, Later on, it actually doesn't mean much. And if you look at a lot of the market wizards, you know, they succeeded through good risk management. But that was my naive uh, view in terms of succeeding in terms of technical analysis. I got hooked onto technical analysis so much so I did my master's degree on technical analysis back then. And then um, at university, um, I was offered a position as a lecturer. And you, the only way you can actually advance at a university is to do your PhD, which I did. And it was very fortunate because um, I did it in the, in the, let's call it the late 90s, and the explosion of neural networks just happened. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people think artificial intelligence has only been around since ChatGPT, which is not the case. No. <laughs> so I uh, I did my PhD on the application of neural networks on the forecasting of share prices. So I then went from, let's say, let's call it technical analysis, which should be simple to the very complex. Um, after my thesis was published, uh, I was approached very quickly by members of the JSE, stockbrokers who were very interested in me for obvious yeah. reasons because yeah. they thought I had a magic formula. I ironically ended up for a bond stockbroking firm specializing in bonds. And I did develop good models in terms of forecasting back then the R150. Um, unfortunately, with all of these models, um, you are dealing with open systems, which means that there will always be information you don't know. And that's yeah. the challenge with AI at the moment as well. Mm-hmm. There will always be. So these models did really well till about 90, I'll be, I'll mm-hmm. give away my, it's 1998. Yeah. <laughs> and there was an emerging market crash and the bond, and you might recall it as well, the R150 went from 13%, yeah. gosh, I think close to 21%. Yeah. Yeah. was the end of me and neural networks. And I became <laughs> a uh, bond analyst looking at economics, supply and demand. Um, so that took my career. And then I moved to Standard Bank where I headed up uh, the research, which was also bond research initially and then equity research. 
Um, and then I moved out of research about 13 years ago, and this is my fourth um, institution with a focus on the equity market. While this was all going along, I still didn't give up on the magical dream of finding the magical uh, formula. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the penny dropped about 13 years ago when I did a, I did a course out of Australia and um, there was a lot of focus on risk management and money management. And then I think three years later, I actually did your high probability course yeah. in person as well. Yeah. And you, you spend a lot of time on it. And that's where the penny dropped that win rate is important, but it's not the only thing. It's, uh, it's a combination of win rate and having a decent um, risk to reward ratio. Mm. Um, so I don't use technical analysis quite a lot anymore. I use it for 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 entries, but not in its purest form. Or I've got a breakout system, so I don't look at patterns. I'm not particularly worried about trends. Um, so I use it from that perspective. So that's been my journey as a as a student who was introduced to the stock market, and since then I've been looking at it at different angles, um, and now. Um, in these last couple of years, I've actually been managing stockbroking firms. So I guess I've come like a full circle on this one. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, very interesting. Now, your your new book that's just recently been released, Badass yeah. Trader, um, I've not read it yet because, as I understand, it's not available in paperback form outside of, the, the, outside of South Africa yet. Um, I will be getting a copy of it. My brother's coming over here and we're going to go and watch the World Cup final together. So... Uh, he is going to, I'm going to ask him to get me a copy and bring it over. But suffice to say, I haven't read the book yet, um, but I'm very much intending to read it. But what inspired you to write a book about trading? And also given that this is not your first book, and I, I didn't know that before I started researching for this podcast, I didn't realize that you had already written two previous books, which looked like they were obviously still in an investing theme, but quite different. What inspired you to write a book specifically about trading? Um, just do the good news on the 6th of November, the paperback will be released on Amazon. Okay. Uh, the publishers in South Africa uh, just wanted to test the market. So uh, that's happening. Good. Okay. Inspired me to write the book. Um, it's, it's, it's quite a strange story because I've been producing weekly principles on LinkedIn, unpacking the psychological aspects of trading success. And I've been doing it for about four and a half years. And about a year and a half ago, a UK publisher actually approached me and said, what do I think of the idea of publishing the principles in a book? I said, you know, I've written two books. They were both self-published, uh, didn't achieve a lot of success. So I was quite dim in terms of, you know, is this something I want to do? The long and the short is I submitted. Um, it's quite an onerous process. You have to do all submission. I think it was about 50 pages. Mm. So on their request, I submitted it. And then lo and behold, they declined me <laughs> and rejected. <laughs> but, <laughs> so that was quite strange. So, um, so what do you do when you get rejected? I thought, you know what? I put in all this effort and I did write quite a lot in terms of positioning the principles, because if you go, if you start stone cold on the principles without context, most readers won't get it. So mm. I resubmitted to to two local and one US-based publisher, and within a week, um, Penwin came back and they said they're very interested. 
Uh, back then, the book's name was The Unbeatable Trader, which yeah. I changed uh, during the course uh, October last year to Badass Trader. I thought it was a bit more marketable. I mm. thought it was a bit more relatable than Unbeatable Trader. I still yeah. like the word Unbeatable Trader, but yeah. Badass Trader. So, got your question. It was actually on request. Request was rejected. And then I just uh, applied somewhere else. Okay. <laughs> brilliant. Now those principles that you talk about that you that you publish on LinkedIn are brilliant. And anyone who listening to this who, who doesn't follow you on LinkedIn should do so because that's basically every weekend, I think it is once a week, you put up a, a, a principle uh, and it's a short read, it's punchy, it's to the point, but very, very valid and very valuable. Uh, this last weekend, I saw that you're up to principle number 215. And I want to just talk about that quickly because you talk about Iceman versus Maverick in this principle and how the Iceman is, as the name would suggest, he's, you know, solid, uh, un unmovable, disciplined, you know, think of all of these kind of things. Maverick, of course, is the opposite, um, goes out on a whim, does things intuitively, instinctively. Now, those are two polar opposite personality traits. And yet in trading, we kind of need them both, don't we? Yes. So that was an interesting one. So people actually ask me where I come up with the ideas of the principles. And it's quite simple. Um, I listen to to other podcasts. So if I, if I pick a key concept and, and I listen to a lot of trading podcasts, including yours, mm -hmm. and I listen to, to others outside of the financial realm, and I read a lot of books. So if, if there's a statement or quote that interests me, I quickly jot it down and then um, I try and bold the case for trading. But in terms of personality, I think it's quite important because, you know, I think one of the challenges in, in, in trading is that you need to be a certain personality, which is not the case. Um, trading works for any personality and it's quite important that you match your trading style to your personality and, mm. and 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 that's where a lot of people get tripped over in terms of for example copy trading um, etc because the one thing you don't know about the copy trading system you're following is the risk management mm. your risk management might be totally different your risk personality might be totally different to the person that developed that system mm. i think with myself as well i did um I've improved on the system that I picked up 10, 13 years ago. It meets my personality um, in, in such a way. So what I was trying to get through on, on this LinkedIn principle is that you, you do probably need two personalities to trade. So the one trading success, as you've mentioned and, and you've written about, requires discipline, mm. which is the Iceman thing. The other side is the Maverick side, which requires curiosity. Um, and always being curious in terms of what is going on and always being curious in terms of pushing the envelope or use top gun uh, analogy yeah. in terms of improving the system, improving efficiencies. Because one of the things with, with any system, it does need tweaking and it does need efficiency improvement. So that's where the two personalities work. If you ask me if I had to pick a personality, which one would work is definitely you need to trade like Iceman. It needs to be mm -hmm. clinical. It needs to be boring and it needs to be based on pure precision. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Super. Now, leading from that is is an interesting question. Well, I think it's interesting. Um, you, you've been involved in a corporate environment pretty much your whole career. Uh, 
And in a corporate environment, typically there are uh, there are holding periods which make it somewhat difficult for someone to be a very active trader. Now, I know when I was in the corporate environment, I was at BOE, uh, we had a seven-day holding period, which at the time I absolutely hated. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of the corporate world so that I could trade more actively without a holding period. Um, and then also, but subsequently realized, actually, that was quite a generous one. I mean, some firms force you to hold for 30 days or 60 days, which, you know, then effectively, you really can't trade short term. You've got to basically be an investor. Um so I'm I'm curious to ask you for your own purposes as a trader. Look, obviously trader slash investor, but you've just written a book about trading, and you've, you're clearly interested in trading. How do you marry that? Um, have you tailored a trading style that allows you to work around these long term, longer holding periods, or, or how have you managed to navigate that? Um, so I've been very fortunate with the holding period. So if, if I go through my banking career, um, which started at Standard Bank, there were no specific holding periods. Yeah. What they were more concerned about was basically did you trade before a news event or sends an event on the JSC? Yeah. And they would question you on that. And then they will also check you on the number of trades. So if you traded more than 20 trades a month, you know, they felt that you weren't doing a job. So that, that was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I joined F&B, there was definitely a holding period for uh, initially. And then just before I left, um, they also went in terms of looking in terms of a frequency of trading rather than, you know, the duration and also looking that you're not you know all the good measures. You're not you're not trading on on um, on shares or stocks that they cover or mm. you know have got views on. Yeah. Uh, where I'm currently at the moment, there are definitely rules in place as well. Um, but it is different. I am allowed to trade CFDs and shares, but I'm not allowed to tra- trade with IG Market. So I can oh. trade with anyone else. Okay. Um, I do need to send my statements across every month for them to to look at. And there are triggers as well, you know, and it's a funny one because it's the first one I've been exposed to in terms of a PL. So if you if you exceed a certain threshold of profit, you need to declare. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, you know, um definitely not trade any I you can trade IG, but it's just uh, which is listed on on, on the FTSE. Yes. Definitely not. So there are, it depends to your question, it depends where you are. Um, there are very stringent rules and they are a lot more relaxed. So it's either holding period or they look at frequency. And I think I've been very fortunate that it's been more frequency. My personal trading style is end of day swing trading. Um, yeah. So that works quite well. Okay. All right. It's an interesting answer uh, because, and just to go back to my experience with that, I, I, now, and I'll say, I look, I hated the, the seven day holding period when I was in the corporate. But the one thing I will say that, that was a positive about it was that you knew you had to be committed to the trade. You're going to have to hold it for seven days. So there was no um, sort of doing anything by the seat of your pants. You really had to be quite committed to a trade. And, and often that holding period actually ended up forcing me to hold a trade and run a profit longer than I would have ordinarily done. 
had I not been forced to hold. So I look back at it sometimes and I think, hmm, you know, maybe it wasn't such a bad thing. And 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 it's that whole idea of less is more in trading. And I think you've also alluded to that somewhere in your principles as well, that you know, good trading is is boring and good trading is not necessarily trading all the time and hitting the buy sell button, you know, 500 times a day. It's often less is more. Doing nothing is also actually something. Yeah, it's a, it's a very valid point. I write about it quite a lot in the book as well. The first part of the book is to, to unpack a lot what you've mentioned um, about the less is more because a lot of times people are attracted to trading and they think the shorter time frame, so that's that's one problem. You know, the more the shorter the time frame, the more you'll trade, but they forget the shorter the time frame, the more noisy it becomes, mm. and you're effectively just trading noise. And then the other problem is your costs go up. So yeah. if you've got a if you have got a good deal with 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 your broker, you are actually gonna pay up quite a lot. So that's one anomaly. Then um then the second anomaly is this is you know having multiple indicators on your screen. Um, it, it could end that you end up with paralysis analysis. We we need to understand that each indicator is a derivative of price. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how you slice it. Um, you know they 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 all are created from the same origin. Yeah. So if you've got one one, it's fine. Or you know a couple. Um, that is also a, a trap. And then uh, with a lot of people, once they start adding more indicators, bizarrely, they need to add more screens. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, those are all, I would say, the uncommon truths of trading. You don't need more screens. You don't need to trade milliseconds or minutes. Yeah. You yeah. don't need a lot of indicators as well. So that's where, you know, less is better. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um. In terms of a conflict, it's just something I'm also thinking about now because you, you're obviously in it now. You've for the first time, I suppose, you've taken a position in a in a business that provides leveraged products, and it that and I suppose CFDs it does sort of in a way lend itself to more frequent higher frequency trading than the typical buy and hold type of investing, which you would have been overseeing at the likes of FNB and Standard Bank and so on. How do you do sort of manage that conflict of interest? And I, I asked this out of curiosity because it was a conflict of interest that I had myself running a derivatives trading desk, wanting clients to trade because the more they trade, the more money we make. And the more, you know, the bigger they trade, the better for us because the more money we make. However, those two factors are exactly what the clients should not be doing. They shouldn't be overexposing themselves and they shouldn't be overtrading. So, you're kind of like, in a way, sometimes it felt a bit like I was the drug dealer pushing the drugs that the, the, the client really shouldn't be taking, but at the same time, he was paying my salary. I found that a difficult conflict of interest to, to, to manage. In your role now, I mean, like obviously, IG's got an enormous client base, so I suppose you know you, that helps. But do, do you experience that as a conflict? Uh, is that a fair question to ask even? Um, it is a fair question to ask, and I'll answer it. I think for any broker, longevity, client longevity is more important because the, the challenge is the cost of onboarding a new client, and if the client blows itself up, it's very similar to the insurance industry. I think their break-even you know, sometimes is up to about two years. Mm -hmm. So if you get a client in that, that 
uh, loses money and potentially needs to close down an account in a very short while, there is an opportunity cost involved for the business. So from an IG perspective, uh, we spend a lot of money on education to ensure uh, if a client does join us, that they, you know, that they, they can trade for a very long period, which is good for both. So it's, it's good for the client. Um, client wants to to build up their, their equity curve or, or their capital over time. And from a business, it's it's potentially, you know, a client that can drive uh, revenue through brokerage. So um, for me, that's quite important that the education side is, you know, and, and we spend a lot of time in terms of in on IG as well. We've got a lot of, we were one of the first to add trading analytics to um, to your, um, let's call it to your account and, mm -hmm. and our, um, our premium team spends a lot with, with our top clients to unpack these numbers look at the win-loss ratio, average duration. Um, so it's in everyone's benefit not to overtrade because we might, we, it's a short gain, short-term gain versus a long-term relationship. Mm, yeah, no, that's very good. I must say that trading analytics function that you talk about on the IG platform really is excellent. Uh, I've used it a, a, a number of times and, at your fingertips, it's it shows you the real critical statistics. So your win to loss rate, your average winner versus average loser in terms of size, and then also the average holding time for winners versus losers. And you know, it's 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 relatively basic data, but it's those are the that's the raw kind of data that you want to use as a trader and focus on getting that getting those statistics better because the more you improve those statistics naturally, the, the better your PL is going to look. So I can just give you a big thumbs up for that and to, to IG market specifically for developing that analytics because it's it's very, very helpful. Notwithstanding that though, we, we all know that this, the statistics are very poor for traders' success in this business. And, and I'm talking now specifically around leveraged products. So CFDs, Forex, uh, futures, options, that kind of stuff. Not not spot equity, but more the leveraged st stuff. Uh, I know the regulations require the providers to put up the, the percentage of clients that lose money. It's a little bit like the cigarette companies having to put those health warnings on the cigarette box. Um, and I know from following not only IG, but from a lot of other providers that are that I also have worked through over the years, the, typically, that number is about 75% of clients that lose money trading leveraged instruments. Sometimes it goes down a bit. Sometimes it goes up a bit. It does depending on, depend on the market environment a, li a, a little bit. But I mean, three quarters of the clients are losing money on average. And that's not to say that the other quarter are all winning big time and driving around in Ferraris. Most definitely not. Most of that other quarter are just barely scraping by. And there's probably a tiny, tiny thin end of the wedge that is actually driving around in Ferraris. Um, so you mentioned that IG is doing a lot of education to to try and help clients be better traders. Uh, and, and you've introduced things like the analytics function. What else? I mean, we, we all, I suppose, work in this financial markets community, and it's in all of our interests to try and improve the success rates of traders. Because like you said previously, 
you actually want your clients to have longevity. You want them to be your clients in five, six, 10 years time, not to blow up their accounts, you know, in the next couple of months. It's an interesting question because um, those are very similar statistics to, to cash equities or spot equities as well. Oh, okay. um, it's the same thing, you know, and also the reason why I started writing this principle because I've been in a very different position and I've traded. I've blown up my own accounts once or twice, so I've learned from that. But I've also spent a lot of time with clients to try and unpack where are things going wrong. So I think the the biggest things, you know, and I talk about it in the book as well, the uncommon truths of trading. So the first thing is we're dealing with a random outcome. We never know where it's going. So that that is quite important to know. And if you do apply with something that's random, you need to manage it quite well through risk management. The second thing that trips a lot of people over, and I can't recall, you did mention it on one of your podcasts, the number of consecutive losses you can experience, I think it was like 12 or 13. Yeah, it's 11. 11 is my own personal record. <laughs> Mine is nine, and, and, and people aren't prepared for that. Yeah. And um, you know the emotional resilience you need to go through when you go through one of these patches. The converse also holds statistically, um, if you had 11 losers in a row, theoretically there will be 11 winners in a row and you know in a row and that also causes challenges because you are on top of the world so that's the second thing i look at i also look at the third thing which warren buffett always refers to what are the two rules of investing rule number one is to protect your capital rule number two is rule number one mm. and with trading as well and and you've done a very good job in your courses as well in terms of, you know, if you lose 10%, you have to make 11%. If you lose 50% of your capital, you have to make up 100%. Uh, uh, you've done an excellent job, you know, yourself and David Paul to articulate that point globally. Mm. So that's also important. So people don't get that. And therefore, um, you know, they, they would put on a trade um, and um, they would put the whole... You know, if you've got 100,000 Rand, they trade a whole 100,000 Rand because they're confused. The one thing I've also figured out over, you know, going through the principles and talking to clients, there's a difference between position sizing and the cost of a trade. Mm. So in position sizing, you are a proponent of, you know, roughly the 2% rule. Yeah. But that doesn't mean if your 2% position is more than 25% of your capital, you have to trim it back. Yeah. That, that That's portfolio hit or maximum portfolio size. And that actually caught me out once because mm. um, I did mention on the, on um, to somebody, you know, the first time I blew up is not applying the second 2% rule. The second time I blew up as I applied the second 2% rule, but not the 25% rule. Yeah. So that's another misconception. And then the third thing is you need some sort of edge. So you need to be better with the market. And the edge is a combination between win rate and risk to reward. And people don't get that. You know, there's a lot of these things we are taught like I was taught or I thought I, I knew it. You know, high win rate, that's it. High yeah. win rate. Um, you don't expect all these losses. Yeah. You, um, you know, if you are convicted, you know, bet the house on the stock or the CFD. Yeah. So these are all the things that trip people up. And 
you know, engaging with clients and unpacking their problems. I started this about four and a half years ago to say, you know what, and if you look at my principles, I don't focus on trading systems. I do not focus on that. And I must admit, it was quite a challenge because initially when I wrote the book, there was no plan for a practical example. And I was kind of arm wrestled right at the end. So I do go through a practical example because I wanted to make sure that the book is not you know, people don't buy the book to to get the secret sauce, as I did many years back. Yeah. And and the first thing is they look at the at at the at the method I use, and then they apply it, and it might work, and it might not. And then if it doesn't work, I am useless. The book is useless. Uh, we'll just go follow another guru. Yeah. Uh, I'm not yeah. a guru, but uh, yeah. enough. I'll follow another person on YouTube or, or TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, I, I'm often approached by people who come along and they say, you know, I'm fed up with my job. I want to quit my job and start trading for a living. Seems easy. You know, you can work from home. You can work from anywhere. You just need a laptop. How hard can it be? I mean, this stuff terrifies me. And I know in the emails that we exchanged, I know that it terrifies you too. But I'm curious to know, you know, when when someone comes along with a request like that to you, what do you tell them? Uh, and and also from that, you know, what things do you believe need to be in place before someone should even think about quitting their job and taking that leap to full time trading? Yeah, um, since the book is released, I get a lot of these questions. You know, I um, I'm actually be- dealing with one at now at the moment with a, a young man who wants to give up his studies because he's, he's made five trades on a demo account and on FX and he's done well and now he doesn't want to study anymore. <laughs> um, so so how would I approach this? Um, so the first thing is, you know, the, the first thing is you need to have an edge. So the only way you can determine if you've got an edge is probably the easiest way is to open up a demo account and I'll use us ourselves as well. Our demo account is really good. Um, and then monitor that. And, and statistically speaking, you know, after 25 to 50 trades, you should get a fair idea if you've got an edge or not. So if you do have an edge, then okay, that that that's a really good starting point. The problem with the markets is that they go through cycles. So if mm-hmm. you place 50 trades, it doesn't necessarily mean you could be in a in a bull market and you know, we know bull markets, you could be in a trending market, which, which yeah. bodes well for most um, trading systems. Yeah. So I do, you know, my recommendation would be to, to run a demo account and, and maybe a couple of strategies in different demo accounts for at least about two to three years, yeah. uh, which most people do not want to hear. Yeah. I use the same example. You know, you could buy a Microsoft Flight Simulator and you could probably be quite good at it after a year on, on flying the plane uh, via your computer. But if I ask you, would you be comfortable we put you uh, in, in front of, uh, you know, a 777 Boeing in the cockpit, given that you've got one year's experience? Most people would say, you know, honestly, no, I won't do that. Yeah. So what is the difference? <laughs> <laughs> what is the difference? Um, um, so, 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 coming back to your question, so I would recommend you know trade demo account, establish that you've got an edge, 
try and trade through a couple of market cycles. And you can see it now, those made a lot of money in this COVID period with uh, with uh, uh, with the uh, you know uh, stocks to the moon and, yeah. and all of that. That those you know they're burning at the moment and yes. they haven't been successful because they they joined a market that went just one way and they don't know how to handle these consolidatory markets or downward markets. Yeah. Okay, so once you've established that, then you need to start, um, you open your account, and then the funny thing happens for most people. It doesn't work out like the demo account. And the reason for that is basically the psychology behind, behind it. Money is emotional. Yeah. That's another thing we don't get taught anywhere in, in trading because now suddenly you are putting money, your own money in the game, your emotions. We, we know the three um, the three big ones in trading, fear, greed, and hope. Yeah. So that is a big one coming into play. And then suddenly the demo account doesn't work. You, you're not getting full at the right place, at the right price, at the right time, and you lose hope. Um, and but this is the most important period because if you do have an edge and you can sort out yourself psychologically, you you should succeed. But start small, you're open, and then once you've figured this all out, then you need to sit down and say, what percentage does my system generate per year on average? Then you have to say, okay, it needs to produce, um, let's say, thirty percent. And then you need to go look at your living costs. Mm. So then you need enough capital to survive one year or two years of trading. And then you hope in those two years that you generate to cover your living costs. And all of these sums are forgotten. Yeah. Because like my friend, which I'm engaging at the moment, is at five successful trades. He wants to quit university. He is just seeing the upside. He's probably at three or four um, the worst thing you can have is three or four winners in a row. That's yeah. the worst thing any person can have. And it sounds bizarre because then your ego takes over. You dream massively about all of these wonderful things that, yeah. that a lot of these people propose that you can buy through trading and do with trading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a hard way to make an easy living. That's what Correct. they say. A very yeah. hard way. There's easier ways, <laughs> less less difficult, less stressful ways. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> Rob. We we're coming towards the end of our allotted time for this podcast, so I've, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. But I wanted to just go back to the book, Badass Trader. Um, how can listeners get a copy of it? And um, and then also after that, I want to just ask you where where can they follow you? What's the best place to follow you? So in South Africa, it's available in paperback. So it's exclusive. It's available at exclusive books, bargain books, um, and then through their online platforms. It's also available on on Take a Lot. In terms of international, it is available on Amazon at the moment in Kindle format. It'll be available on sixth of November in, in paperback as well. Yeah. Which, which I'm quite ple pleased about because uh, you know the. the the publishing house, which is Penguin, were you know they first wanted to test the waters, yeah, mm. and then it seems to be doing well. You know, within three months, I've moved to second print. So, uh, 
yeah so i'm brilliant i'm, I'm really happy and um it's, it still gives me a thrill um you know walking into exclusive books and i i see it either in the shelves or on the bestsellers and i can still pinch myself for that because that you know after my two previous books which was self-published you know it, it, it gives me a thrill mm. um in terms of uh you know contacting me i am on linkedin i'm quite active on linkedin you'll get a a principal once a week. Yeah. So I'm busy with principal 216. So that means I've been going at it for about four and a half years now. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one that I do spend a lot of time on. Um, I do have Badass Trader on Instagram. Um, I have started posting the principles on Twitter. I don't have a huge following on, on Twitter. Yeah. And it seems that Twitter is a different medium. They they like more, you know, in terms of what's happening in the market, market action. And it could also be because, you know, I'm totally um, an unknown quantity on Twitter. I haven't spent a lot of time on Twitter. So I'm on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, I do have a TikTok account, but I haven't figured out, you know, how I'm going to utilize it and what I'm going to do about it. Okay. All right. So LinkedIn really is the best place. Oh, and, and, and just quickly on the book again, um, you mentioned that it's available in online format on Kindle and whatever. But um, is it the kind of book that lends itself to an audio book? And would it potentially be available as an audio book at some stage? Or is it a book yeah. that's got pictures and graphs in it, which doesn't lend itself to an audio book? Um, yes, it, it, it's got pictures and graphs. It's not. It's not over heavy on it. Okay. Um, I do believe um, I had someone reaching out last week to me that bought it on Kindle um, and there is functionality on the book that Kindle can read it to you if you through Alexa, uh. which totally amazed me. So you mentioned um, it's a lady with a UK voice that he's using. So I said, that's bloody amazing. Yeah. Uh, but to get it onto, let's say, audible.com in terms of someone reading it for you, it's very much the rights of the book are held by the publisher. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure, you know, at which stage they would consider, um, you know, offering that and doing that as well. Um, okay. So um, so I don't hold those rights. You know, I would love to to put it on Audible. But in the closest thing apparently is Kindle and Alexa working together and right. you can you get the spoken word of the book. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. Fantastic. Well, look, I, I, as I said, I'm going to get a copy from my brother who's coming over in October. We're going to go and watch the World Cup together. So I'll get it then. Uh, and I look forward to reading it. But Rob, it's, it's been fascinating and fantastic speaking to you. Uh, I'm very pleased to have managed to get you onto the first episode of season seven of Talking With Traders. So thank you very much. And also thanks, obviously, to IG for being our sponsor on this podcast for well, we're in the fourth year of it now. So it's 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 great. Always a great partnership with you guys. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Garth. It's you know, I, I think as a listener to the podcast before joining IG, I think it's very valuable. And and now being at IG, you know, it is one of those things that helps the education process, it helps the longevity and and well done, you know, in terms of of, of spreading the news that Trading, yes, it might be hard, but there is an easy way of doing it. But you just need to apply a lot of good principles and sensible principles. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Super. Well, thank you very much, Rob. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.